The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 159. Oi! Don't be scared. All of this is new to you and new can be scary. When people need help, I never refuse. There's this moment when you're sure you're about to die, and then you're born. I know exactly who I am. I'm the Doctor. Should be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the season premiere of the newest season of Doctor Who. Uh, and the title of the episodes is Spyfall Parts 1 and 2. And joining me today on the panel is Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. So, uh, folks, with Father Corey, you, as you probably heard, is not with us this week, but uh, we'll have something special from him a little later. We'll talk about that uh, toward the end of the episode. But uh, I do want to encourage you, if you can, to go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from and write a review of the show if you can. We'd appreciate that. That helps us to uh, get the show out in front of more listeners who might be looking for a Doctor Who podcast to listen to with this new season available. And, of course, you know, if you have friends who are, looking for Doctor Who podcast to share it with them as well. We greatly appreciate that. So, Jimmy, we have a finally we have a new season. It's been a whole year since we've had a new episode yeah. of Doctor Who. And since we, New Year's Day. Yes, uh, exactly. And so we have this two part season premiere. He's, uh, the first part dropped on New Year's Day. The second part dropped on Epiphany Sunday, as we have here in uh, in the U.S. Uh, we celebrate Epiphany on Sunday and uh, we have. Uh, the 13th Doctor is back, and I, I wanted to start with just a sort of a, you and I to talk about what we think about the 13th Doctor this season so far, the first two episodes, versus first season. Has she changed much? What do you think? I didn't notice her changing much. I did notice, particularly by the end of part two of this, they point out a character feature of hers that I think we kind of gloss past in the first season of her doctor. Um, I didn't notice her really being that different. What I did notice was the writing in these two episodes is way better. Yeah. Um, this is, this is uh, the best stuff Chibnall has ever written for Dr. Who by far. Um, and the, the first episode in particular, I, it, now there is a big twist towards the end of the first episode, but even before that, I thought this is well-written, this is well-paced, this is dramatic, this right. is, you know, frightening, this is really what I'm looking for in Doctor Who in a better way than anything last season. So I thought the writing was a huge step up. I also liked the second part of the two-parter. Um, one of the things that tends to happen on Doctor Who is the finales tend, for some reason, not to be as great as the setups if you've got a two-parter. And I, I didn't like the second part quite as much as the first, but I still liked it. So I thought yeah. this was this was a hopeful sign for the new season, that they may have gotten the message and corrected much of the stuff. Not necessarily all of the stuff. Right. Because there is a little bit of SJW-ness in this. But they uh, they corrected the major problems, which uh, many of the major problems on the writing level. Right. And to be fair, some of that SJW stuff was 
present in the Capaldi seasons and and that sort of stuff yeah. too. So yeah, and uh, it's pretty minor. I yeah. mean, it's just little little stuff. It's yeah, it is is pretty minor. Uh, one of the things I, I I felt like with this was it felt like a Pertwee John Pertwee throwback a little bit, especially the first episode. Uh, spycraft vehicle chases. Um, the the twist at the end, <laughs> as mm-hmm. we'll get to it. I, I'm sure everyone is, already knows what the twist is, but I want to kind of just preserve a little bit of that as we go. Well, and as as you know, we can't even say the title Spyfall without saying the word spy. And exactly. so it definitely has that espionage vibe. The title is a play on Skyfall, yep. the James, James Bond, Bond movie. And yep. so we've got all this James Bond stuff, including at one point they go to a birthday party that's themed as Casino Royale, which was the original <laughs> James Bond novel. Right. Yes. So, yeah, that and I really enjoyed that part. There's lots of, you know, the spy gadgets and all that sort of stuff. So let's let's jump into the podcast. Uh, I'm sorry, into the episode as we go through this podcast that uh, starts with uh, a series of uh, of uh, spies vignettes. meeting bad ends right. in different uh, parts of the world. Yeah, they're all on different operations, but they're all meet a bad end at the hands of some kind of creature alien we'll find out what they are later special effect a special, special effect <laughs> comes out of nowhere and 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 yes. bad ends them yes uh, we, we don't see exactly what it is but they get attacked uh one in africa on the ivory coast another one on an airplane landing in tokyo and the third uh in moscow a uh, and and we have a, both mi6 and cia and i don't think we saw any russians but you know we we get we we get the sense of this is a a very broad issue, a very broad problem. And then we we're in Sheffield, back in Sheffield in Yorkshire. Uh, we have Ryan playing basketball with his buddies, and we find out Ryan's been making excuses to his friends about why he's been gone so much, and presumably traveling with the doctor. And why does he need to? Because time machine. I suppose there is this. There has to be an issue of we don't want people to age too quickly that's yeah but it like amy and rory eventually age 10 years during their time with the doctor but right we don't get the sense these people have been with the doctor for 10 years nobody's going to no. notice that oh hey you're you're three weeks older than i thought you were what's wrong <laughs> right right yeah well we don't know how long they've been traveling with the doctor in this interim so i mean that's a, that's a it's an interesting question well, but yeah presumably presumably i mean we don't know but they're not visually older than a year to us the audience so right. they shouldn't have been traveling more than a year anyway well and then we have yaz next who is making excuses about why she's often so gone so far so often gone from her job but you know she keeps pretending she's been seconded to another organization uh, out there instead of uh you know being being on duty as a probationary officer still uh but if she's been gone so much how would you keep your job i don't know it'd be yeah. hard to sustain that but yeah. uh, i do like that uh, we had a scene where she's at home with her family and we see her dad uh, who's got a very thick Yorkshire accent, trying to make mm. the his Am- Amazon Echo work, which it wasn't working. I just thought that was mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Uh, the, uh, the 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 I'm sure the Scottish version of the Echo is is a very interesting version as well. Uh, but the, there's a couple of funny YouTube videos about about people with very strong accents trying to make their Amazon Echoes work. Mm. Um, so the uh, then we have Graham uh, who, who's uh, who's at his doctor's office for a checkup. Uh, that's another one. Yeah, I think we have there. Uh, but all three of them get picked up by men in black. I mean, yeah, yeah. Dark suits, dark glasses, and dark cars. Uh, yep. 
And and then we get the doctor in an automotive garage with the TARDIS up on blocks, <laughs> yes, which up, is great. Up on the lift with all and, the plumbing underneath. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the agents show up for her, too. And she's like, hi, fellas, rocking the ominous look. <laughs> And, and Graham shouts out of one of the windows, worst, worst. Uber ever. <laughs> That's a great line. <laughs> it's a uh, nice Simpsons reference there uh, to the uh, the uh, comic yeah. book guy. Worst uh, episode ever. Yeah. Uh, I love using that line. So I, I, I loved Graham's take on it. Uh, so then they're in the car and then we have a talking GPS uh, that. And so we had the Amazon Echo. We have the GPS. And I'm thinking to myself at this point, uh, is there something having to do with voice control devices? But it's really a, a more about connected devices, as we'll find out. Uh, the mm-hmm. GPS, <laughs> worst GPS ever, uh, yeah. it ends up vaporizing the driver. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the car starts driving itself. <laughs> backwards, ba- dangerously. Yeah, well, for, say, first forward, five, then backward, yeah. In five seconds, die. Yeah, right. Instead of instead of uh, in ten seconds, turn left. In five seconds, die. Uh, the doctor manages to reflect the ray beam back on the GPS using the screen of a of a iPhone or or Android phone or whatever. Oh, but I thought the, I thought she grabbed the rearview mirror. Was it the rearview mirror? Oh, I thought. I would, oh, okay, I must have missed that. I, I must must have misunderstood. Um, maybe, any, maybe I may have misperceived. Yeah, but that the thing I, it was funny that at one point the car stops in the middle of the highway, and they're just sitting there. I'm like. Get out of the car. <laughs> get, why are you sitting in the car? Get out. And then the car takes off again. But they, they managed to get control of things again. Um, and then they get uh, the head of MI6 played by uh, Stephen Fry, which is uh, mm-hmm. fun. We knew that he was going to be in this one. Uh, and he for, calls. for people like Americans who may not understand exactly what MI6 is, it's basically the British equivalent of the CIA. So it's an yeah. intelligence service that is meant to spy on foreigners um, not on people in the homeland. The right. intelligence service to spy on people in the homeland is the British equivalent of the FBI, which is MI5. Yes. Is, I wonder if there's a one, two, three, and four, but uh, maybe not. <laughs> I think there may have used to been, but I don't know that there is now. Okay. I looked it up once, but I okay. don't remember. Uh, so uh, it's James Bond's uh, employer, basically, MI6. Yeah. Uh, so and uh, we have... Uh, Stephen Fry's character is the head of the MI6, and they call him C instead of M in in uh, in James Bond. It's M mm-hmm. for whatever reason we we use initials. And uh, they're bringing in the TARDIS into the MI6 headquarters, and uh, and he starts addressing Graham as the Doctor, and which is his, his assistant says, "No, no, no, she's the Doctor." He's like, "The Doctor is a man. I've read the files," and she says, "I've had an upgrade." Yeah, how about that? <laughs> I, I, okay, it, it, yes, it is that 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 old oh, women are better than men thing. But I have to admit, this is this might be the only case where it's where it comes right out like that. Yeah, well, there is another kind of painful line in part two, um, where reflective of seemingly or ostensibly of nineteenth century misogyny. Oh yeah. Um, but uh, but this one, it is. It's implausible. It's just implausible right. that C is going to be know about the doctor and is going to be summoning the doctor and knows that the doctor has apparently. I mean, he's got to know he's changed appearance before. Look him up, you know, right. before you meet him. What is what do the current files say? And yeah. it's just implausible that 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 this would happen this way. And it just comes across as 
let's just girl power this for a moment <laughs> just for the sake of doing that. Right, because the files do say, because his assistant knows that, that Jody Whitaker is the doctor. Yeah. So it's, it's like, dude, you maybe you should have briefed your boss beforehand. Right. So, so he, he doesn't look have like an egg on his face. Yeah. <laughs> right. So uh, but, see, I mean, we had all last season to get over the fact the doctor's a woman. We should be over it now. Right. And so should the writers. Thank right. you. It, it comes up a number of times in this, but not as blatantly as this necessarily. But it, it, it'll come up several times. Uh, so uh, C tells us by, that every. By, oh, by the yeah. way, one thing some people have I've seen it pointed out that uh, the doctor frequently kind of disses his or her previous incarnation or incarnations. Yeah. And I mean, most notably in the case of Colin Baker, I mean, change, my dear, and not a moment too soon. Right. Um. So some people have kind of read this. I've got an up. I've got an upgrade line is just dissing standard doctor dissing previous incarnations. But it does not come across that way to the viewer. Right. I mean, uh, you have to be a pretty deep fan to know about that history. Right. And even like I, th- I think I remember with Pertwee's when he first showed up. He actually didn't like his face at first, mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, it, it, he was a little bit more humble about the change. Uh, so uh, C tells us that every intelligence agency around the globe has asked MI6 to contact the doctor. And I'm thinking, where's unit? Why isn't unit doing the contacting? And we're kind of given a brief line. They kind of hang yeah. a lantern on that about Do you, there's something wrong with unit or it's gone or it's not active. Well, yeah. So in the previous um New Year's Day special, they had tried calling unit and they got an operator who said it's been defunded. Right. And and so this time, you know, uh, the C is telling them we need you to deal with this alien stuff because we're not equipped to. And the doctor is like, well, what about the groups that are equipped to deal with aliens like unit and Torchwood? And he says they're all gone. Right. And it's like, wait a minute. How I mean, we have had more out in the open alien activity in the Doctor Who 21st century Earth than ever before. We are now openly living as a hybrid society with Zygons and um, and uh, um, uh, uh, Silurians. Right, right, right. How do you defund (laughs) Unit and Torchwood and other groups dealing with aliens. Right. There is a greater need for them now than ever. This makes no sense. Yeah. Well, uh, I could track this one up to politicians being being politicians. So <laughs> could be uh, the case. Even politicians <laughs> aren't stupid enough to do that. Yeah. 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 Uh, so they, he takes him in to see the uh, spy that had been attacked on the plane. They find her in a hospital bed and her DNA has be, been rewritten. She's not human anymore. Uh, she's just a shell with a human appearance. She's been erased, essentially. And we find out at the end of the second episode what that's all about. Um, yeah. Uh, but we'll, we won't we won't get there yet. Um, I like this uh, moment in C's office where the, uh, the the James Bond arsenal comes out. Like Graham yeah. and Ryan are all geeking out over the uh, laser shoes and rocket cufflinks and all the other stuff. That was a lot of fun. Uh, my favorite in that, and they just mention it, but don't do anything with it with it is the tongue immobilizer chewing gum it's like <laughs> yes. what <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not sure where that would come in handy but uh, that's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
that'll probably be pretty easy to make. You just use a paralyzing agent and infuse it into chewing gum, and okay, <laughs> your tum is numb now. Numb now. That's right. Uh, so that we're, we're told about. C tells him about this uh, this fellow named Daniel Barton. He's the founder of Vor, a search Ford, engine company. Who, yeah, this this episode surrogate for Google. Yes, uh, Google and Alphabet, which has its fingers and everything. Um, all the spies were investig that had been uh, disappeared were investigating him, and he used to apparently used to be MI six. Although that never comes up again. I don't even mm-hmm. notice that they never really make anything of the fact that he used to be part of MI six. Um, so the doctor asks for MI 6s best man, who's with an open mind, uh, who she calls Horizon Watcher at first, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, and his code name is O. So she's apparently worked with him before, and uh, yep. but uh, she's told Once he's been, we later learn. Yes, uh, we told that um, he's been fired uh, by. I forget why he said that. Uh, that he just was erratic or something. Yeah, he didn't didn't like him um, and thought he was not a good agent. Right, right. Uh, so she WhatsApps uh, O. <laughs> she uses the WhatsApp app to contact him. And uh, and meanwhile, uh, C is is assassinated in if, at his desk. The head of MI six. Now, someone says, shouldn't they have bulletproof glass at MI? Someone told me that online. One would think, but but it's it is a laser bolt. So I'm not sure yeah, they're prepared yeah. for that. So it's, it's you know it's hard to blame them for that. And if you've seen Skyfall, you know you know the uh, the MI six headquarters is just <laughs> you know it's it's a it's 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 uh, bad guys can get in there and blow it up. So. Oh, okay. The, uh, the the Bond movie. I have not seen Skyfall. Oh yes, the the MI six gets the building gets really <laughs> wrecked. Hmm. So uh, she gets a photo back from O uh, on WhatsApp, and it's steganography. It's, a, it's coded in steganography, which is uh, encoding data in an image, which is very interesting given the resolution yep. of the what the big plot yeah. is in this episode. Yeah data encoded in something that looks like something else right uh very uh very poetic of the villain uh shall we say uh but mm-hmm. meanwhile an alien starts to come through the door walk through the literally not through the doorway yeah. but through so the door the special itself. effects are attacking again <laughs> yes yes the glowy the the uh, light bulb aliens um but they take off first uh and then they decide that they're going to split up Yaz and Ryan are going to go undercover to check out Daniel Barton at his headquarters in Mountain View, California, or wherever the VOR is, the Google analog of VOR, uh, while the Doctor and Graham are going to Australia to see O, who is hiding out in the outback. Yeah, and there's an interesting moment during the special effect attack, um, because they, they for once, they get in the TARDIS and start to run. Yes. Oh, you know, right. It's not the, we must stay here business. They get in the TARDIS and start to run. The doctor is explaining that she once took a correspondence course in steganography. Yeah. And as she's explaining that, the special effect starts to phase through the TARDIS's door. And this is something that very rarely happens right. on Doctor Who. Very few things can get into the TARDIS like that. Um, it has happened on occasion, like in the Psychic Circus episode in the Seventh Doctor's Time, but when an advertising thing got in... Um, but uh, it's very rare for that to happen. And the companions are like, I didn't know anything could get into the TARDIS like this. And the doctor is neither. Neither did I. <laughs> but then they they warp, warp out of there and leave the special effect behind. So it right. doesn't travel with them. That's yes. Very good. Uh, uh, so. Uh, uh, Ryan and Yaz, they pose as a 
journalist and a photojournalist and to, to to go and they hack Daniel Barton's calendar to to set up a meeting with him and, and, and all of that. I would notice if things are showing up on my calendar that I don't remember setting well, up. I mean yeah, apparently he has a staff who manages his calendar for him. So I maybe yeah. if you're a big time CEO, things show up yeah. and you don't recognize it. Uh, people got fired, apparently. So good job there going the doctor and the campaign is getting people fired. <laughs> well, considering who they were working for in the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. They're probably better off. Uh, and then now the doctor and Graham are in the uh, Great Victoria Desert in Australia. Um, yeah, the doctor says she once lived in the outback for 123 years. <laughs> right. I wonder when that was. Is as the as the thirteenth doctor, or as the previous uh, who one knows. Yep. Uh, so uh, I think uh, Father Corey sent me a message. He didn't include it in, in his comments that we'll hear about later. But uh, he did send a message that we, we uh, he thought later about. Does this make O the Wizard of Oz? Uh, being oh. Australia, mm, is, it a, is it a Wizard of Oz reference? Uh, this morning, mm-hmm. so that good good call that one, Father Corey. Uh, so meanwhile, there's some Australian Secret Service there who's there to guard the Doctor and O from alien attack. Uh, they are completely outmatched in incompetence, unfortunately. Like, they, they just do everything wrong, uh, but we'll see that in a bit. Yeah. Um, we, we get to meet O, though, and he's yes. a really nice guy. Um, he's, uh, he's young, he's handsome, he's apparently of in descent of Indian subcontinent extraction, He's uh, a curious guy. He's got a mm-hmm. playful side. He has a complete set of the Fortean Times, <laughs> right. um, you know, which is great for people who may not be aware. Charles Fort was a researcher in the you know, early 20th century of what we now would call the paranormal. And so he founded an organization that published still publishes a magazine called the Fortean Times, where they document all kinds of weird stuff that happens, you know, Um UFO sightings, raining frogs from the sky, all kinds of different things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, and so the fact that O would have a complete, you know, he's, he knows the doctor. He studies weird phenomena. He's got the complete run of the 40 in times. That's just awesome. And, and uh, it comes up that he has the complete MI6 record of the unexplained, which is essentially the British X-Files, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and uh so that's that's uh, fun, and so he yeah he does seem like an interesting kind of cool character here. Where uh, you know uh, I'm interested in finding out more about this guy. Uh, now switching back to to Daniel Barton and Yaz and Ryan, he is much less of a nice guy. Yeah, he's you know he he comes across as you know rich billionaire kind of obnoxious, and uh, he they, they Yaz is I, I, interviewing he's, him. He's not- He's not just obnoxious. He's yeah. really obnoxious. And yeah. he gets worse as the two-parter progresses. Right. I found it interesting. And, you know, I, I'll um, I, when I see the series doing little SJW things, I'll uh, sometimes call it out. I mean, not all the time because, you know, who yeah. cares? Yeah. But when they when they cut the other way, I want to give them credit. Because one of the things they do with Barton is he talks about the actor who plays him happens to be black. And um, he talks about the fact that I was one of the few non-white faces in my school or whatever coming up. And now look at what a great success I am. And normally in media today, if someone points out I was one of the few non-white faces in this context, that's a setup for what a great guy I am. Right. 
You know, it's like you're supposed to admire me now and I triumphed over adversity and, and I'm a, such a wonderful person and I'm better than all those white faces that had privilege. OK. You know, that, and that is true in some context. But the thing is, in SJW text, it's always the case. Right. And here it's not because this guy is still an evil jerk. In fact, he's <laughs> positively genocidal right as we will later learn he is the and, bad guy or yeah half of it one anyway. of the bad guys yeah. and so so uh so they they set up what would have been a standard sjw virtue signal and then they utter undercut it and yeah. so i want to give them credit for that they didn't play the new sjw stereotype they subverted the stereotype right and that's kind of the, the subverting the audience expectations perhaps which is a uh, clever, and uh, they they use some spy technology or you know time lord technology. I'm not sure which it is yet to scan him. They they duplicate his uh, his employee ID and they determine that he's only 93 percent human. Uh, his DNA, which is interesting, and we'll come up later why that is. Because um, mm -hmm. that doesn't happen through uh, breeding. Like, <laughs> breeding. You, mm -hmm. there's no way to come up with just seven percent human. Uh, well, or if you go back enough in the grandparents, I mean, <laughs> um, you have to go pretty far back. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but he invites them to his birthday party the next day because he has to cut the meeting short. And uh, so, mm -hmm. uh, meanwhile, back in Oz, uh, the doctor uh, can't get a reading on her sonic something. Uh, is stalking them in the house and she can't get a reading on the things that are stalking them. It's nighttime. Uh, these strange creatures, um, the, the special effects, as we said, the, the, the light bulb aliens attack the guards. Um, they managed to repel them all, but one, which they trap in a box that, O had set up as a snare and then they, and they, they zap it repeatedly. And it says it comes from far beyond and that it takes the basic human form to mock them, um, and uh, it says that the, yeah. that these and aliens. When have it says far beyond, it's far beyond your understanding. So right, not right. even another planet or something, just way beyond whatever you understand. Right, and and it says ominously that they are stable now and can take over the universe, which is once again uh, was one of our one of our long running complaints with Doctor Who, the new Doctor Who is we always have to have universe spanning or world spanning consequences yeah. as opposed to. Smaller stories, which are which are nice. And hopefully we'll get some of those. But yeah, it's not a big, big everything what, will die. What I do like, though, here is the doctor is genuinely scared. Yeah. And that tells the audience this is actually scary. This is not the, you know, anytime the doctor is cockily strut strutting around pretending a danger is not a danger. It undercuts the danger for the audience. Right. And David Tennant and Matt Smith had a tendency to do that. But yeah. here we have a doctor who is genuinely frightened of what's happening and does not understand it. And that makes it genuinely much more dramatic. That is one of the things I like about this. The 13th doctor is that she is not the Time Lord triumphant who is always in control and always, you know, supremely self-confident. It's more like what we had with the seventh doctor, or the fifth doctor, and that that sort of. Uh, I'm not sure here what's, if, if we're gonna if we're gonna win here. Uh, we have Yaz and and Ryan. They they sneak into Barton's office after hours, and he he comes back, and they think he's found them, but in fact it, they find out that he's working with the these light bulb aliens. Um, and one of the aliens takes Yaz from Barton's office and transports her to someplace else. 
Um, yeah, a, a, looks kind of like an underground seaweed farm. <laughs> I was going to say it's like a kelp. I mean, un- underwater seaweed seaweed farm. Yeah, but no water. But it doesn't do anything to Ryan. Ryan just kind of gets let go, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has it has electrical charges running up and down the seaweed, which makes it you think it's kind of like a brain. In fact, the doctor will later on speculate that it might be that. We don't get a resolution on exactly what's going on, but we, we... Well, eventually it's revealed this is the realm that the light bulb aliens come from. Right. Oh, and the, the light bulb aliens are named cassava melons. So. <laughs> yes, they are cassava. We'll just, we'll just shorten it to cassavin for now. It'll just make yeah, that a little yeah. easier. Uh, so Yaz gets transported out of the kelp forest in into the box in Australia. So like she's got like instant transport from uh san francisco to australia which is very handy i would wish i had that suddenly suddenly her words fail her because when she's asked what was it like where you were she says it was like nothingness like nowhere and i'm going no it was like an underwater kelp farm brain with no water (laughs) right right say that uh i'm sure it was an overwhelming experience let's just say uh we have a a scene of o and graham talking about the doctor Uh, graham the the O just references that when she, when she was a man, and Graham says, I, "I thought she was just joking when she said that she was a man before." <laughs> that was that was a nice line. That was good. And then because uh, that is, I mean, unless you understand what the Doctor is, you would assume. Uh, Thirty minutes ago, I was an angry Scottish man. You would assume <laughs> that was a joke, right? Right. And in fact, that that becomes a something that the the companions addressed a couple times in these two episodes is we don't really know that much about the doctor we really don't know where she's from what what she is or anything like that and that is the trait that yes. the uh doctor get that comes out about the doc about this doctor by the by the over the course of these two of this two-parter we kind of blew past it in the first season, but she's been traveling with these companions for at least a year. They do not know that she's a time lord. Right. You right. Know, this she has been the most secretive about her past than any doctor since the second. Although only only the first and second doctors were this secretive with right. their companions about who they were and where they were from and what their race was like. Although the David Tennant's doctor, the tenth doctor, he was a little KG like with, Mar- with, took with Martha, Martha a while. Yeah. 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 And we're he- we're heading into the Martha moment um with these companions where he reve- she reveals herself to them. Right. But um but this is I mean this is bigger than what happened with Martha because she only traveled with the doctor like a couple of adventures before she insisted on knowing who he was. Right. How do you meet someone who has a time machine that will take you anywhere in the universe right and not say so <laughs> tell me about this yeah, where did me. this come from how did you get it where are you from what's right. your name i mean all of those questions should come up within a year yes yes there's, there's got to be downtime we were all sitting around having a cup of tea and like so tell me about where you grew up. I mean, we, everyone does that, right? I mean, yeah. would, you would think. Uh, o does reveal that he has a library of files about the doctor, which is interesting. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, and he notes there's a lot of inconsistencies, but he's yes. got a shelf full of of shelf full of material that he's collected about the yeah. doctor. He even invites Graham to take a look at it if he wants. Yes, and yes. Graham is tempted, <laughs> but but in his circumstances intervene to keep Graham from looking at the files. Right. 
Uh, o says uh, at, at, at the next point, uh, he says that Barden can't be an alien. By the way, uh, the doctor must go and get Ryan and brings him back because everyone's together in um, O's cabin uh, at this point. And O says that Barden can't be an alien because they're speculating if he's an alien because there are thousands of photos of him over the years. And I'm thinking, why would that be a problem? Like, yeah, especially for a tech guy. I mean, anybody right. can salt photos. I mean, it's not like we haven't seen salted histories and legends on uh, on the Internet on Doctor Who before. I mean, the master right. did that. And back not, in the Harold Saxon master. Exactly. And not to mention the fact that he could be a replacement. Like he could like mm -hmm. you know, there have been cases where people have been replaced with doubles. So, I mean, it's. Yeah. So anyway, uh, or given given that it's only 93 percent human, I mean, he could have had recent genetic engineering. That would be yes. the most logical inference. Right. Now, then we get um, some some fourth wall breaking a little bit like the high tech conspiracy theory, how the you know the, the tech industry is all conspiring to steal all of our information, all our data. And and I was thinking this is sort of a, just a new version of the the old military industrial complex worries that we used to have back in the 70s and 80s the military industrial complex is conspiring to create war yeah. to make markets for their stuff and before is, that it was worried is about scientists you scientists are doing these things and it's going to end life and blah blah right. blah it's the current social worry moral panic thing right right and that becomes a key to the, the this episode's plot uh so they they find out that there are hundreds of alien spies Embedded all over the earth, uh, according to the, this map that they find on this obscure server in one of Barton's companies. Which then, as further layers are decrypted, turns out to be like eight different maps. And doc the doctor is like, what, are these multiple worlds? Right. And then O asks the question. He says, if they're spies, then you have to ask yourself, who's the spy master? Yeah. <laughs> Natural question. And that's when I started thinking. But we'll get to that in a uh -huh. second. <laughs> okay. So they dress up and, and go the, to... Yeah, the line did stand out a little bit. Yes, it's yes. Like the, they didn't have... They could have done a little bit more to get us to that line <laughs> in a more natural way. Right. I think they wanted to kind of hang a, hang a flag on that one and mm -hmm. just say, oh, spy master, huh? It's interesting you should say that. So they, they get... Dressed to the nines, and they go to Barton's well, Casino Royale party. Eight and, a, eight and a half in the doctor's case. She's still got those boots. She's got those awful <laughs> shoes. It's like her and Ray from from uh, Star Wars. Like they both have these awful shoes. I'm not sure. Like I'm not a. I'm not particularly interested in women's footwear, but it's just like these awful looking boots that go with nothing that they're wearing, and they look weird. Ooh. Um, and fashion sometimes go in weird directions. I mean, I remember back in the 90s, there was the whole grunge look. Oh, yeah. The Doc Martens. And yeah. and it's I mean, I I was tempted at one. And of course, I didn't. And I was, you know, too old to be part of the grunge thing. But yeah. I, I was tempted at one point. To, I saw someone and I I felt like saying, are you trying to look ugly? <laughs> <laughs> right. Because the person did not would not look ugly, but they had made themselves up in such a way. It's like, Why? Well, they're, 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 yeah, these, it's so, I don't know. I, I don't understand fashion, so I, I'm not yeah. the one to, to speak. Maybe other people, uh, listeners could, could chime in if they understand more, but I just don't understand. I, I get the outfit. I like the coat and the, and the, 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 the shirt, and it portrays a certain sense of personality with the doctor. I don't get these weird boots that she wears everywhere. It's, it's uh, maybe it's just yeah. a quirk. Maybe it's like the celery with the fifth doctor. Who knows? But I, I'm not, I, I find the current doctor's, costume mildly annoying 
I frankly, I like the six doctors Technicolor dream coat. <laughs> no, 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 no. Can you imagine but if I, they've I mean, done it's, that? It's not, not like I hate it. It's not like I loathe it. It's yeah. just kind of mildly annoying. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 Meanwhile. Oh, yeah. go ahead. No, I was going to say, they, so they go to this party. Uh, yeah, where there, there are no guards at all out front of Steve Jobs's, you know, front gate. Right. To and, watch the TARDIS and, landing in the vineyard. <laughs> Yeah, and and then they walk past Chekhov's motorcycles. Yes, and yes. they go into the James Bond Casino Royale party. They do have to go to the to check in with the person at the door, where she yeah. says, "I'm the doctor," and where they all and everyone goes with her. Like it's like we're all invited, I suppose. With we're with yeah. her because uh, the the doctor said she could also hack the guy's diary, so she got on the he, guest list. Right. Uh, so uh, she she confronts Barton. She tells him, "You know, I know who you are. I know what you're doing." And he denies, denies, denies. And so then he goes and leaves and they chase him on motorcycles. Well, I don't know if you want to mention the anything that happens at the party. There's some fun yeah. scenes of them playing, playing the yeah. games. It's it's nice seeing them playing the game and the doctor's like playing one game with dice and doesn't even realize the game she's playing. <laughs> she thinks she's you know, playing she... something called Snap and they're playing 21 or something. <laughs> I forget what it is. But yeah. Yeah. That, that was kind of funny. It it does definitely have a Casino Royale feel to it. Um, there is a bit of repartee between Yaz and O that mm-hmm. has a. It's more of that little little flirty. Yeah, and there's more of the leaving some some breadcrumbs for the for the observant viewer, I guess. But the big the main thing is is they have to chase Barton. He gets into his his limo and takes off to the vineyard, and they of course. Hop, hop on the motorcycles to give chase, and yeah, I don't know whether he's getting the TARDIS. Doctor. What's that? Very seventh doctor. Very yes, yes. That was uh yeah, that was reminding me of that. Uh, but I was gonna say uh, you hop in the TARDIS and fly the TARDIS along behind him to chase him. Like you but, could okay. do that. Uh yeah. he Barton uh, he, shoots he, at him. He starts shooting at him. I mean, he right. like leans out the window. He's not doesn't let a security guard do it. He personally <laughs> gets a gun, leans out the window, and starts shooting at him, and he is such a terrible shot. Well I mean Sign that guy up for Imperial Stormtrooper right now. He's got what it takes. On the other hand, driving in a car that's going through the vineyard, through like over the dirt, I'm surprised that bull- those bullets went anywhere near those motorcycles. But he was he was actually shooting those handlebars really good. Like those <laughs> bullets was well, like those were like magnetic handlebars attracting those bullets. I, it was amazing. Uh, if I were if I were one of if I were oh, I'd be a little upset at Barton. I think. But we'll get to that. <laughs> well, yeah. The, but see, the thing, if you're going to. OK, so you could say a non-expert is not going to be able to compensate for the bumpy ground they're on. Yeah. Fine. But these people are not shooting at you on the motorcycles. Right. You can wait until you get to the main highway to start shooting at them when you won't have the bumpy ground. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, so he goes to his, to, the, to his airport to where his private plane is, his big. Um, it's an it's an airliner style plane and they sneak on board uh as it takes off i have to say if this is a private jet it is not going to be set up in rows of seats like this this is not how these big private jets are it would be appointed more luxuriously oh okay well he said that he has a corporate jet but it still would be private yeah 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 it would still be yeah but uh, you know it's a minor point so that the plane takes off and they're in the air and barton is flying and this is when 
Yeah, <laughs> right. Actually, well, as they're about to take off, we yeah. see Barton get a phone call and yeah. his phone lights up and it says un, un, it says private number. Right. And we don't hear what happens with that phone call. But the plane takes off and we have a super dramatic Dr. Sonics open the rear cargo hatch and they all trundle up and chase the plane and hop onto the cargo hatch. Right. One by one. And once they're airborne, uh, we get the big reveal. Uh, yeah, because, oh, even though Graham, 70-year-old Graham, has managed to get on this plane, the the one coming up behind is O, and he says, oh, I was always terrible at spreading. Right. Uh, which the doctor then says, uh, I've read your file. I know you, and you're, you actually were uh, a champion runner. And this is when he reveals, yeah, that's because I'm the master. Yeah. <laughs> and which is a lot of fun for for fans because we're wondering what are we going to have the return of the master after Missy's, you know, departure in the mm -hmm. 12th Doctor's final uh, adventure and what will the next master be like and yep. I did not expect to see the master this soon. No, no. Um this was like wham and I'd already liked this character. I mean there's a moment earlier on where the doctor says fancy a trip in the box. Right. And you're thinking he's he's just someone who studied her and like this is a fanboy trip for him. And he's like so excited to get to go in the TARDIS. And and it it adds this whole extra layer here. And I love Sasha Dewan's uh, performance yes. in the reveal scene because he's he, as soon as she points out you were a champion sprinter at school. He's like, oh, well, you got me. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he could have rolled with it. He could have said, oh, you know, he, he could have played it out longer and said, yeah, but I've I've had a uh, I, I won one race and then I got an injury to my ankle. Right. Or right. something, you know, he could have could have made up a lie to keep the charade going. But he doesn't want the charade to keep going. He wants this reveal. And he just relishes the reveal. And oh, yeah. um, she and as he says, they don't understand what's happening. He says, well, you better look out the window. They do. And it's his house flying alongside them. And he says, I know it's a bit Wicked Witch of the West, but, you know, <laughs> you're getting the picture. Or Again, Wizard not. of Oz. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the the Wicked Witch of the West is another Wizard of Oz reference. So that, that's yes. fun there. Uh, yeah. yeah. And he but he, Sasha Dewan is like he's like chewing the scenery with gusto. I mean. This is, yeah. but, but in a good way, this isn't like, uh, um, you know, he's having overdone. fun. Yeah. I mean, he just is, he throws himself into this role. I, I don't know. I, I haven't seen any, any interviews with him. I don't know if he's a fan or how we got, went around about preparing for this, but he has just thrown himself into this, this super villain role, this nemesis role, yeah. uh, which is a lot of fun. And, uh, we also get the return of something we haven't seen with the new who master, which is the, the tissue, tissue compression, compression eliminator. eliminator. Who is it he compressed that he showed in the box? Was it the real? Oh, it was the o? original O. That's right. That's what it was. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um. So, so what he explains because the doctor is like, I've met O before, and she's doesn't know it, but she's met this master before, right? Because what he says happened was he he found O, the real O. And ambushed him on his first day to work and tissue compressed him. So he's got him in a matchbox now. He's really tiny and dead. 
yep. and um, and um, and he assumed his identity. So he was the one working for MI6 the whole time. Right. And the doctor previously met this master. Yes. And just didn't know he was the master. But the reveal here is great because he says, you know, I said you should look for the spy master or should I say the spy master? And then is the <laughs> and then he has this, you know, moment where he inhales audibly with this look of mixed horror and delight on his face. It's yeah. like, oh, <laughs> and then we see the doctor's horror on her face as she the, the realization moment. Yeah, that it was that was really well done. I really like that part. Uh, yeah, and, and he's clapping his hands with glee at how he's put one over on them, and he's just having so much fun. I immediately wanted to see more of this master. Yes, it's like this is this is. I had imagined like how are they going to top Missy, and yes. they can't really top Missy. I'm not looking for them to top Missy, right? But um, how will they follow the masters her? that yeah. are having fun with what they're doing are the most interesting masters. And like Missy yes. was clearly having fun. Yes, you know. And so I want the master to have fun with what he's doing. He, Yeah, he needs to be angry and fly off the handle on occasion, but he also just needs to be uh, someone who's enjoying himself causing chaos. Right. And this master does that. And it's like, I immediately want this guy to be on. I want us. I want a big finish audio set of this guy right now. <laughs> I, have and, to say, I have to say we had good timing last week when we discussed the big finish audio of the mastermind, the, the yeah, that episode. Someone pointed that out on Facebook is wrote good timing yes. uh, before I had seen the episode and yep. knew what the reveal was. Um, and fortunately, Sasha Dewan is uh, already has already appeared in like four big finish things. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. So, in fact, big finish as of this morning has a sale on those. So if you're listening to this episode early enough. The uh, you may be able to pick him up for cheap, but not as the master. He was playing. He's not other roles. as he's yeah. not as the master, but right. he is playing other roles. He also played Waris Hussein in an adventure in space and time, the docudrama about the making of Doctor Who. He was the original oh, director. Right. That's of where Doctor Who. Uh, that face was very familiar. Yeah, that's where I'd seen him from. Because there's only like eight actors in all of Britain, so that's why we keep seeing them over and over again. Yeah, <laughs> and and he had so he has worked in the Hooniverse before, yep. and he was offered a part in last season's Demons of the Punjab, but he couldn't make it because he was filming something else. And so they just, this season, offered him the part of the master without even auditioning him. Ooh, cool. Well, I, I'm kind of glad he wasn't in Demons of the Punjab then because he can be the master Oh, now. he is a good master. And he's different enough than Missy, but preserves, especially in the first of these two parters, the yes. elements of the master that I want to see. Yes. Uh, so we we find out that... Uh, Barton is no longer flying the plane and his place is a bomb in the cockpit counting down um, where it's it's enough it's enough to damage the plane, but not blow it up. We're told and that um, the master yeah, before he the master takes says off, it's got a short fuse. I can relate to that. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and he tells the doctor everything you think, you know, is a lie and uh, leaves it at that. Uh, mm -hmm. And then the aliens, the light bulb, aliens, the Kasavans, and, and he, tel he teleports out at that yes. moment. Yeah, he teleports out. Uh, the Kasavans show up and they take the doctor to their dimension or Brain whatever space. Yep. Yeah. And they leave the companions on this plane that's crashing to die. And that's where the first episode ends right there. Yeah. I like how the for once the masters thought ahead and it's like, you didn't really think I would not make that sonic that bomb sonic proof, did you? Right. And and there are no parachutes on this plane. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so uh, 
the doctor, we start the second uh, episode with the doctor in the in the brain space, uh, and she encounters this woman, this obviously early nineteenth century uh, British woman who thinks who thinks that she's paralyzed and having a a a, a vision, uh, a mental vision uh, yeah. that she's not actually somewhere else, and that she's this is something that happens to her regularly, apparently. Um, meanwhile, the doctor somehow left clues on the plane for Ryan. These little placards, right? So I, I wanted to mention this. The the episode actually starts, you know, with after the recap with the plane crashing. And we have this great shot because the cockpit has blown off of this plane as a right. result of the bomb. And what we do is we see the plane coming toward us and we push through the camera, pushes through the exploded cockpit into the into the passenger cabin where the fam is. Yes. And so that's just a great shot. That is gr- I love that direction. Right. Um. As they're as they're then in contorted positions, hanging onto the seats, Ryan sees a nameplate, uh, sees a plate on the wall with his name. Right. And it leads him to seat to the seat pocket of seat 4C, where he pulls out a laminated insert. And normally these things are like how to put on a life vest. Yes. But this one is how to land a plane without a cockpit. Right. <laughs> so he has to open this hatch in the floor and connect his phone to this cable uh, that starts a video of the doctor, um, uh, very much like Blink, where the doctor is talking and responding yep. to them in real time, but telling them, mm-hmm. "Don't talk to the video. It's we. Uh, it's this isn't live." So, Graham, I told you not to talk to the video. Yeah. <laughs> that was <laughs> yes, fun. You did. Yeah, and uh, the, apparently the doctor set it up so that uh, the an app would download to Ryan's phone, and then he could land auto land the plane using his phone, which is very. A nice little gimmick. We should get one of those in it, all planes. It, actually, we have something very close to it right now. This was one of the most believable things in this entire episode. Much more believable than the laser shoes. Yes. Um, because, and I love the timey-wiminess of this solution. It's like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I thought the know? same thing. Yeah. Um, but we have, but you could do this thing of land the plane with your phone if you can establish the proper interface. Because... We now have automatic landing systems, and these are especially present um, in smaller planes. Yeah, they're 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 being rolled out to a broader audience. But one of the systems is so simple that you that you know a three year old can do it. The instructions for how to operate the the system amount to one sentence, right? And the one sentence is. Push the big red button, <laughs> right? And right. you, so you, what happens? Your your pilots have died. You push the big red button. The auto landing system comes on. It makes contact with the nearest airports. Figures out which one of them, which ones of them are within fuel range, and starts. Or meanwhile, it's talking to you to tell you everything's okay. Here's what I'm doing now. Right. And it's talking to the control towers to say, I've got an emergency. We need you to clear all the flight paths. I'm coming in. And it lands the plane for you. Right. So this technology totally exists. And it's entirely reasonable that the doctor, you know, could say, "Ooh, I need to leave some I need some car keys. So I'm going to leave them right here in the future. And uh, here's an app for Ryan's phone that will totally do this. Yeah. The most airports have had instrument landing systems for many years. I mean, if they if. In as long as the conditions are the weather conditions are pretty good, it, yeah, you could just land the plane using the instrument landing system. But uh, in this case, it, you know, they, this is what they it, it flies a lot further than like they they go uh, 
transcontinental transatlantic in this condition, which I think it's, it, it pushes the bounds of believability just a bit. But, you know, it's OK. Well, yeah, I mean, somehow they needed to get I mean, they started in San Francisco and they end up in London, in England. Yeah. And so that's a. I mean, even if this is a really fast plane, it's not a Concorde. Yeah. Um, so it, exactly. W- once they get over the ocean, it's explainable if there's unseen time here. Right. That's why it didn't land in the middle of the ocean. Right. It's. It, I mean, that's that's a long trip. But yeah, it will. We'll, we'll. You know, we'll put headcanon on that. So yeah. we we get this scene of Barton in, and now we we'll call him the master in the master's TARDIS, the cabin, uh, and they have they talk about their plan and how things aren't going according to what Barton thought was the plan. So we have a bit of discord between Barton and the master. Um, I noticed the master seems to be having headaches because he keeps wincing. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting direction they have on that. Uh, There's no explanation in this episode on that. So maybe that'll come up uh, in the future or maybe he's just playing him that way. Like the master is. Yeah. It it may also be a callback to the master's general craziness. Like he's apparently always had the da 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 in his head. Right. So, yeah. Which in in humans would be pulse, uh, pulsile tinnitus. Right. Or pulsatile tinnitus. That's right. right. He's hearing his time Lord heartbeat all the time. (laughs) So the uh, the doctor wakes up in uh, 19th century London. So she and uh, the this this woman she encountered in the uh, alien space uh, go through. They they kind of touch one of the aliens or yeah. go through the one aliens, of the aliens. The Cassava Melon aliens are functioning as doorways between their realm and ours. So okay. like if one of them runs at you, you may end up in brain space. And so here we have yeah. the flip side of that. One of them shows up in brain space. And they go through him to get back to our world. And uh, they end up in 1834 in London in an exhibition of steampunk era industrial gear. Which they actually had those things. They would treat science demonstrations, science fairs, as if they were entertainment. Steam powered machine gun. The home hand Mm -hmm. grenade was particularly fun. Uh, I like that. Uh, So the uh, and the companions find themselves in Essex in in England and. uh, they have some funny things, which I might, well, must be in jokes for our British listeners about Essex. Uh, <laughs> Graham says oh. something about it. Uh, I, I, I didn't get the joke, but uh, I, I I knew that oh, there was right. a joke being yeah. being told. Uh, the master shows up in uh, 19th century uh, England at this exhibition. Oh, f- first of all, though, now there's so at the exhibition yep. when uh, Anna wakes up, everyone's like, oh, good. You're not paralyzed anymore a- because Ada. she has a history. Ada. Ada. Um, When Ada wakes up, everyone understands why, okay, good, she's not paralyzed anymore. This is just an epileptic fit or something that happens to her occasionally. Right. Um, And but who is this other woman that's with you? Right. And and the doctor uh, tries to hand wave over it and and refuses to give up her secrets of how she uh, miraculously appeared here. And it's like, you should all feel privileged that you uh, witnessed an appearance of the marvelous operating man, a lady. <laughs> and, right. and I like that because yeah. she has been a man for 2000 years. So, right. You know, it's easy to forget like that. That's fun. That's not <laughs> SJW. That's just fun. Yes. Yes. Um, and uh, the, the master shows up here and starts tissue compressing people, killing people at random. Oh. It's horrible. It is is so horrible and scary because we've never seen the tissue compression eliminator done like this before. Yeah. Normally he does it. Normally we see him like 
holding it on somebody like in uh, Terror of the Autons. Yep. We'll see him hold it on somebody. We'll see the end of it glow. And then we'll later see the shrunken body that's like down to Ken doll, Barbie doll size. Yeah. In this, he just points it at a person and they shrink in midair to being like one inch tall. Yeah. And it's just boop. That person is a little tiny one inch doll now. And dead. And and dead. Yeah. And he's just going boop, boop. And you, and then the little dolls will fall to the ground, and it is so scary. It's it's somehow it's it's creepier and scarier than if he just shot them with a bullet. Yeah, uh, there's something that that's very that's very horror hor- horrifying to us about that. And he revels in the slaughter. He just he talks about how oh, it just makes me so giddy inside as I kill people. I mean, this is a really psychopathic master we have here. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this guy is off his off the rocker. Uh, and, and so he he makes the doctor kneel in front of him and forces her to call him master so that he doesn't keep killing other people. Um, and he says he has news from home. Yes. Uh, and but then he, he doesn't get to deliver it because then Ada attacks him with the steam powered machine gun. And the doctor says she doesn't approve because but, she just saved your life and didn't even kill him right I don't, well i don't approve but i'll make an exemption in this instance well, or something but and, yeah and then ada throws the home defense grenade at him and the doctor <laughs> positively approves of that it's like how is a grenade more moral than a gun well it's guns at least are targeted <laughs> exactly. grenades are not they're area devastation weapons right well it's not a gun that's just the key yeah. the important thing <laughs> So um, we find out the bastard doesn't really like she points out that he doesn't really know the aliens. He doesn't know these Kasavans. Uh, he he's he thinks he's you know, he, he tries to portray that he's in control, but he's really not that that he and Barton and, and the Kasavans are all sort of working yeah. together, but not quite. And this is a typical master plot. I, I meant I meant to mention this in our discussion of the first episode after the reveal because all the, so the master is just a, a madman with a box. Yes, the mad master is just like the doctor. He doesn't have any intrinsic power base. His only superpower is hypnosis. You know, which, which the doctor could do if the doctor wanted, but the doctor's a nice person, right? Um, so he's no more powerful than an ordinary time lord. That means in order for him to be a big threat. He needs to ally himself with someone. And so that's the standard master plot going all the way back to his original introduction in Terror of the Autons. The Autons were his army. He's the one who thinks he's in control of them, but eventually one or the other or both betrays the other. Right. That's the standard master plot. Yes. And the the only notable, I mean, there are some exceptions, but the only one I can think of where a betrayal like that doesn't quite happen is when the... Missy has the Cybermen. She's built her new army and gives it to the doctor and says, it's yours. Now you can fix all the things in the universe you don't like. Right. Um, But normally the master has finds an army, makes an alliance with it, and one or the other betrays. uh, And that's how it falls apart. That's right. And that's exactly what happens here. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, this is this is right in line with what how the doctor, the, the master has worked before. Uh, so the companions in Essex are still in there dressed in their tuxedos and uh, they get this contact from Barton who uh, doxes them essentially and, and you know, rewrites mm-hmm. their, their history, is, tells yeah. them he's tracing them everywhere they go, has made them the most wanted criminals and everyone's looking for them. 
Yeah. And it's more than just doxing because he doesn't just publish their address or, you know, their files. He makes up stuff. He, right. he's, he's doctored the records to turn them into wanted criminals. And so and Ryan has the right idea of we must immediately smash our phones. Right. Right. And um, and Yaz like tries calling her mom to tell her not to worry and don't believe anything. And Ryan yanks it out of her hand and starts stomping on it, which is the right thing to do. Right. Right. And they end up going to a, a place that that Graham takes them to is a construction site where there are no cameras and nobody to around to see them, which is a, a, another good idea. Uh, yeah, and that's actually it is going to a construction site is a pretty good idea because cameras are where things have already been built. Right. Your best chance of find other than the total in nowhere countryside. Yeah. Your best chance in a city of finding a place where you can evade cameras is where something's under construction and the cameras haven't been put in yet. Although sometimes there are security cameras on the perimeter. Sometimes yeah. even then, yeah. yeah. So uh the doctor uh, goes with Ada to this the to the home of this other fellow who's at the exhibition named Charles. Turns out his name is Charles Babbage, and yeah. she's the future Ada Lovelace. Not quite yet. Uh, she's not. Yes. Yet. And so this is um, this is uh, this is nice. I yep. like seeing Charles Babbage. I like seeing a historical character who doesn't immediately become the center of everything. Yes. Well, let's you know, let, because who is Charles Babbage and Ada Lovelace? Just oh, as a Char So Charles Babbage was the inventor of. Uh, the analytical differential Difference. engine. It's an, yeah. basically an early analog computer. Yes. It wasn't electronic, um, but it was programmable. And Ada Lovelace was the is credited as the wor world's first computer programmer because she wrote a program to calculate Bernoulli numbers. Uh, Bernoulli numbers, it's a sequence of numbers that were discovered by the 17th century mathematician Jacob Bernoulli it's kind of hard to describe them concisely, but they're very important in number theory. Right. And the like the zeroth Bernoulli number is one. And then the first Bernoulli number is plus or minus a half and then plus one sixth and then zero and then minus one thirtieth and then zero. And every except for one, every other odd numbered Bernoulli number is zero. Um, and they have various properties that are linked to Pascal's triangle and pi and various other things. So that's why they're important in number theory, but they're hard to calculate. Right. Jacob Bernoulli himself, I think, only calculated the first 10. And so they're the kind of thing you would want a computer to calculate for you. And so in the 1800s, Ada Lovelace wrote the first computer program to come up with additional Bernoulli numbers. And so... Uh is it right to call her the first computer scientist and not Babbage? Well, he's like the first hardware guy and she's the first software guy. Okay. Okay. That's that, that, that makes sense then. And the doctor finds it significant that, that these two people are connected to the aliens, that the aliens have visited them. And in fact, she notices this wireframe sculpture in Babbage's uh, parlor that we've seen in both in the master's TARDIS and in Barton's office. And it, she figures out it's a gateway for the Kasavans to come through yeah. from their place to our and place. It's, ca it's called the Silver Lady. And here's where we have the other kind of SJW moment in this, where Babbage uh, refers to the Silver Lady and says, like every great lady, her her purpose is as much ornamentation as function. Although, to, to their credit, they don't 
they don't make a big deal out of it. They don't have them like refuting him or anything. He just says this yeah, anachronistic they thing. They don't, but the doctor and Ada Lovelace both give each other a knowing look at, oh, what a misogynist this guy is. Right, right. And Ada is a bit, um, they do play her a bit like they do all, like a lot of TV shows and movies do of historical women. She's not, she's, she's a little more modern than she yeah. would have been. So. It's and we're about to get course. a double a double dose of that because in a few minutes they're going to meet uh, Nor Inyat, um, blanking on her last name, her other last name Khan. Nor Inyat, yeah. Inyat Khan, and so we have the Doctor teaming up with two amazing historical women versus the misogynist uh, historical man. Right, right. Well, and well, that that there's a. We'll get to that in a second. I'll, I'll, I'll mm-hmm. talk about that. We do find out that Ada's been having these paralysis episodes since she was 13. Uh, the doctor explains that the map we saw in the Master's TARDIS of multiple Earths was not multiple Earths, but this Earth in multiple times, and that the Kasavans have been on Earth throughout all of time, not just throughout well, well, all the planet. since 1834, at least. Right. Since 1834. Right. Um, since uh, the development of computer technology. And she uses she uses the Silver Lady to summon a, Kins- a Kasavin at, so that she can get back to her time because she doesn't have the TARDIS. So she has to get back to 20, 2019, uh, 2020, whatever it is there. <laughs> 2020. Yeah. And uh, at the last second, Ada grabs her hand and gets pulled through, which makes them uh, misfire a bit. Uh, but we'll get to that in yeah. a second. Meanwhile, uh, back in the tw- back in the present, the fam has decided that even without the doctor, even if the doctor never comes back, they're going to carry on. They're going to yes. do whatever they can to defeat Barton. And they also realize they don't know anything about the doctor, not for lack of trying, but because she has dodged their questions. Right. And they resolve to ask again when she if she does get back. And uh, so so that the, they're. They're making their plans and they have they talk about what gear they have and that sort of thing. That's the main uh, important part of that that scene. Uh, The doctor and Ada, meanwhile, have ended up in Paris in 1943. I find the number, the dates significant. Yeah. 1834, Mm -hmm. 1943. So they reversed. Yeah. They don't make anything of of it, but it's just the way it is. Uh, And we find out that the master here is actually is, of course, a Nazi because what else Mm -hmm. is it going to be? And and the doctor makes a a big deal of that, uh, something of that. Um, the Kasavin- we later learn he's got a facial Aryan perception filter, so they think he's yeah. Aryan. Teutonic, a tu- tu- or Teutonic, tiny yeah. Teutonic something or other. Yeah, I forget exactly what he, what he called it, but yeah, that's a, so that yeah, they 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 do they sort of hang a lantern on the fact that he's a South Southwest Asian. <laughs> so uh, the Kasavins, meanwhile, in twenty twenty, show up for the companions, and Graham uh, Graham has to dance to activate his laser spy shoes to shoot back at the Kasavans. I thought that was kind of uh, Which funny. Which is so ridiculous, yeah. but and, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to let it ruin the episode for me. Right, right, right. I can just accept it. They're just being silly. Here. Well, yeah, all of the James Bond spy tools are uh, somewhat ridiculous when you think about them. Um, so then we have this scene of Barton back in San Francisco, or I think, or maybe no, it's London because they—I forget where it is. He's in a warehouse, and he's got his he's mom tied got up his there. Mom hostage. And it's this very odd scene of him, like she's like tied to a chair, and he's like, you know, mom, I don't understand why you're not happy to see me. Like he's very like like wow, this guy is as cuckoo as the master. Yeah, <laughs> and like, uh, I didn't have a choice. And he has the Kasavans attack her, and he says that you're the first one. You know, you're the although she's technically not the spies 
from the beginning of the first episode yeah. with the first, but um, the first of the main wave of whatever is going to happen. Right. I do like though he's he's got these issues. It's like, mom, I I'm this great man in the world. I've done all this great stuff. Why can't you just say to me, well done? And she looks at him and says, well done, as she's tied to the chair with zip ties. Right. She goes, can I go now? <laughs> uh, so that back in Paris, they're back in um, Noor's uh, apartment. apartment. Noor is a famous historical character. She was a yes. British spy behind enemy lines during World War II. She was an American uh, and British spy and author. Right. Yes. Um, and then volunteer, I guess, volunteered to become a spy in France. And um, th and the doctor informs us of her attributes, telling Ada she's just as impressive as you. It's like, yeah, yeah right. come on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no informed attributes, please. Uh, what they don't say in this episode is she's going to live less than a year. Oh, really? Not the Nazis are going to catch her and execute her. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. I suppose I could see why they didn't bring it up. I mean, it's, it, yeah, I can it see would, why they didn't bring it up, too. It'd be a bit of a downer. Yeah, it would introduce that element in it. But but as the doctor, I mean, think about that. You would know these things. You're meeting. Oh, you're Nor in a Yacht Khan. Wow. And yeah. you're going to die in less than 12 months. <laughs> Which makes me wonder, why did she bother wiping her memory at the end? But, you know, whatever. Maybe. Yeah. So the the master and the Nazis show up at, at uh, Nor's apartment and... They shoot up the floor and leave. And I'm thinking, why? <laughs> like, what do you like? Well, would you not look to see that she was under there, that you killed her? Like, I don't understand I, that. I interpreted it as, as they assumed she was under the bed and the camera work. So they, they assume that that Nor has them hidden. Yeah. And um, and based on the camera work, it looked like they were I thought they were implying the doctor and Ada were under the bed and they kind of shoot up the floor under the bed okay but not the main part of the floor and this is just the master being vindictive kind of like trying to want to kill the doctor maybe sort of but kind of not wanting to yeah and, which is the way the master always is the doctor wants to kill uh, the master wants to kill the doctor but the master also doesn't want to kill the doctor yeah um and so he's like trying to kill the doctor but not in the most effective way possible <laughs> okay all right uh it's the master being the master is another yeah. way. So uh, I, there is a nice little moment here where they Ada looks out the window and sees Paris burning, and, you know, during 1943, and she's disturbed by it. And the the doctor kind of reassures her, like from Ada's point of view, is this the future I have to look forward to? This is what the future of the world is going to be. Is this burning? And the the doctor says that that these are the dark times. The darkness never sustains. You know that she says mm -hmm. the darkness never persists. Good times are coming afterward. And so to Ada's point of view, there's this long, there's going to be a long period of darkness, which precedes a good time, a good, good period of, of the world, which is an mm -hmm. interesting perspective for someone looking to the future. You know, the, so I, mm -hmm. I just thought that was an interesting way of kind of highlighting for us how when, you know, we look to the future, there's bad times, but there's there are bad times and there are good times. That's which is what the doctor is saying. Mm -hmm. Um, also, this is if you saw the trailers for the beginning of for this season, there was a moment where you could see the doctor in a tuxedo in some kind of wooden structure. And she's saying, well, this isn't an ideal situation, but I can work with it or words right. to that effect. Right. And that's from this scene. That's her and Ada in the floorboards. Right, 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 um, right. But they don't seem to have used that line in this episode. That line apparently got cut. <laughs> that's funny. That 
when trailers uh, use pre-production uh, footage uh, uh, or pre-finished footage. The companions, meanwhile, have uh, they've come up with a plan. They've used a, a classic British telephone box to make a for Yaz to make a phone call home to warn her parents, and then the bad agents, you know, Barton's bad guys, show up to take them. But it was all a setup. They had trapped them, um, and and uh, 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 Graham threatens them with his laser shoes, and they all hit the deck. And then uh, Ryan <laughs> tells them the plan. He monologues. <laughs> we we totally trapped you here so we could do the following plan. Yeah, he, he does the supervillain <laughs> monologue, <laughs> and Yaz's yep. like. You just told them our plan. <laughs> I, I, I did love the fact they didn't reveal to us it until they revealed it to the agents that this was all a plan. Because it yes. looks like they're just making a mistake and are they going to get away with it? And then, oh, they actually are being clever. Right. Until Ryan blurts out the plan. And <laughs> right. it reminds me of one of my favorite moments in the finale of Battlestar Galactica, where you have the, the teams uh, raiding the Cylon colony and, uh, and you have a confrontation between two Sharons, mm -hmm. uh, two of the Model 8 Cylons, yep. who are on opposite sides. One of them is sided with the humans and one of them is sided with the Cylons. And as they're about to kill the Cylon 8, um, the real 8 kind of says, here's what we're doing. And Starbuck is like, can you please not tell them the plan? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh so meanwhile, the doctor back in 1943 Paris uses uh, Nora's uh, wireless set to send Morse code out of the four tone signal to the master, the rhythm of two hearts, which is a very nice callback to to the uh, to the Tenth Doctor and the Harold Saxon master. The end um, of time. And you think about it, that's kind of I was thinking about it earlier today, and that's kind of what you would hear potentially depending on how the hearts are set up, because a normal heart, what you hear is lub dub, lub dub, lub dub, lub dub. Yeah. But if you've got a, a bi-cardiac circulatory system, you would presumably have the heart so that they're not all firing exactly in time with each other. And you could right. get da 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 And then she, once he signals back from his Nazi bunker, Oh, uh, they have a force chat. They have a force chat. They have this psychic telepathic link, which is apparently something ha which has happened but once oh, yeah. before. Yeah. Uh, Time Lords can do this. Um, they don't. They're mildly telepathic normally. Okay. And so she and she even comments, he's not very far away, so I can do this. And they, we, did, we haven't seen this in New Who. This was just a classic Who thing. No, we've seen we've seen elements of Time Lord telepathy in New Who. The Doctor, for one thing, said if early on he said if there were any other other Time Lords out there, I would know it. Right. Um, and but I'm thinking like this implying this direct communication, though. Well, that was implying some kind of ambient sense. Oh, okay. Um, but the Doctor has more directly done telepathy in the episode The Lodger. Where rather oh, than yeah. explain who he is to Craig, he headbutts him and downloads it all at once and says, oh, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> right. That's right. One of my favorite episodes. So uh, she, uh, she, what she does is she tells the master to meet her at the top of the Eiffel Tower, because where else are you going to meet in Paris? Uh, but at the top of the, the Eiffel Arche Tower. The Arche de Triomphe? <laughs> right. <laughs> We'd be less exposed, that's for sure. Um, that did. I've been to the top of the Eiffel Tower. That was much smaller than the top of the, the Eiffel Louvre? Tower is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know there are Champ a, a, a nice cafe. We have some coffee. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can, there's lots of places to meet in Paris. 
So uh, he tells her that the Kasavans were Im- are, have been embedded throughout the universe already when he encountered them. They were already there. Uh, because he, has to be such universal stakes. <laughs> exactly. And he convinced them uh, of a, they were just exploring, like, what is this universe and do we have to worry about it? But he gave them a better plan than their own of uh, taking it over. And the doctor said um, the reason she and Yaz ended up in the alien space instead of getting killed by the aliens was that they were full of Artron energy and fizzing with time travel, I think as she put it. And, and that's she why she had non-human DNA. Right, right. And so they the the aliens acted as gateways instead of just as killing devices, I guess. Um, so we, they had to explain why the aliens transported them and didn't kill them like they did the agents and others. Yeah, and this is another weird thing because Ada has d- apparently did not disappear physically into right. their realm when she would get paralyzed. Other people would still see her, and it's like, okay, you're unresponsive. Um, so something different was going on with Ada apparently right. than with the Doctor and Yaz, who just physically vanished. Time travel, maybe, where she was being transported back to the very next microsecond that she dis- uh, after she disappeared, perhaps. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. They kind of left that hang in there. Um, the master then reveals to her what he meant earlier by everything you, you knew before is a lie. He says, uh, well, he doesn't tell what doesn't reveal the why the lie, but he does tell her that Gallifrey has been destroyed. This is why he's doing it. Gallifrey has yeah. been destroyed and everyone there is dead again. And mm-hmm. the doctor thinks he's lying. Uh, mm-hmm. meanwhile, but then he says, you should really go home and look for yourself. Right. Also, as this conversation is happening, Ada and Noor are doing things surreptitiously on behalf of the doctor. Noor is sending a transmission to London that the doctor asked her to. Ada has a cell phone that she doesn't really understand, but the doctor gave it to her and said, use this when you see something unusual. And the doctor is doing something with her sonic behind her back as she's talking to the master and he's confessing his evil plan to her. Right. Uh, and what happens is, is the message that Nor sent to back to Britain was intended to be intercepted by the Nazis. That reveals that the master is a double. Well, reveals, quote unquote, that, that the master is a double agent for the Brits against the Nazis who show up to arrest him. And meanwhile, she was using the, the sonic to turn off his Teutonic psychic paper thingy. The, uh, or perception uh, filter perception filter yep uh and, and so I now i wondered i wondered about that because if you've if you've turned off the perception filter will they just my first thought was they'll just see him as a completely different person in which case it's going to interfere with their ability to arrest him as the person they think he is um mm, but yeah. maybe they mean oh it no i still recognize it's you i just never noticed you were from the indian subcontinent before right. somehow i think that's how they've established the this perception filter is working is not so much that it's a illusion or or camouflage or disguise, but just that I don't real I don't realize I'm seeing the thing that I'm seeing that it's there, but I'm, I just doesn't make it in some cases. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the doctor, meanwhile, goes and finds the master's TARDIS along with Ada and uh, Inor. And I was really surprised that the master's TARDIS didn't put up more of a fight. Um, I mean, we know it when the doctor's TARDIS doesn't like somebody. Yep. And the master's TARDIS didn't have any problem with the doctor using it. Maybe the um, maybe the master's TARDIS doesn't like the master. <laughs> well, it could be. He could be a bad master. Yeah, I, that um, wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> or I assume that um that he uh 
you know, the doctor, the two TARDISes may have some special relation of, okay, we've got to kind of keep our, keep our boys in, in harmony <laughs> with each other somehow. I mean, we know right. they've got this rivalry, but they also really like each other so we can work together. Yeah. That's for their own good. So yeah. it, inside the, she finds this temporal map of uh, every person significant in the development of computers through history, starting with Ada Lovelace, which they don't really pay off why this no. is. Uh, I, I'm not sure what the point of it is, is because, because eventually it's, it has to with Barton's plan to rewrite everyone's DNA through their, their smartphones. So yeah. I'm not sure why you need to go back to Ada Lovelace to, to do that, but you know, that they, they don't really well, pay that off. It- it may have been that just this was when they started exploring our universe and they were interested in com- in us developing computer technology. And that's when the master found them and they didn't have the ambition yet to do this to humanity, but they were just monitoring our technological development. But that's all headcanon. Right. Because they, they don't establish it. Right. Right. So then we have Barton at uh, at uh, WWDC or the CES or some press event like that doing his Steve Jobs impression. Uh, and where he he, he does really the one thing sinister that, Steve Jobs impression <laughs> exactly he thanks the world for giving him total access to everyone everywhere and all their data um, and he says I'm not joking <laughs> like yeah. he has to tell them I'm not I'm not being uh, 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 it's snarkily funny and he sends a global message to every phone every computer every device everywhere humanity is over you have three minutes to prepare it's just a very a very just, just super so he can monologue for another three minutes right. it's like why aren't you doing this now. And he says he's going to reformat the DNA of the whole of humanity to become storage devices, very efficient storage devices. And I'm thinking to myself, he said the most efficient. Right. I know this is the soil and green is people problem. This is uh, doing something horrible to humans for some other purpose is horrifying, but it doesn't really bear a lot of scrutiny. Right. If you need I mean, sure. okay, you can encode a lot of data in DNA. Fine. Um, what are you storing? You don't need to do that to people. Well, if you if you want yeah. an organic hard drive, build a bunch of organic hard drives. But it's got to be easier than what you're doing now, right? But then, then the question is, is well, if you're going to convert all the people, then what data are you planning to store? Like, yeah, because well, there's no people to make data. Presumably, stuff of interest to cassava melons. But I, I guess it's very strange that it, yeah, does, it it's doesn't make any not sense. Well fleshed out. Yeah. Uh. Meanwhile, the master shows up at the warehouse. Okay, so the companions have gotten to the warehouse where uh, Barton's mom, now now dead and reprogrammed into big into a living hard drive, um, she's there, and they've shown up, and he's done his "I'm I'm on the screen and the bad thing is about to happen" thing, um, and then the master shows up after having lived the seventy years from nineteen forty three. Seventy seven years. Do you have any idea how horrible it is living through the twentieth century? It's like actually I do, yes. <laughs> yes. And b- by the way, if and you want to see the doc- the master live through the twentieth century, you can go check out our <laughs> review of Big Finish Mastermind last week. <laughs> yeah. Um also this seems to be a callback to um uh to uh, Curse of the Fatal Death. There have been indications lately of uh, Curse of the Fatal Death, even though it's a comedy episode and yeah. clearly is not canon. Uh, people are playing with the concept of it as right. if it were canon. Um, and so in that episode, the master like has to repeatedly live through events to get back up to the point in the plot where the doctor is. <laughs> right, right. And and so that that happens here. Also, there was um, there was a, a an 
it, oh, it was the Bechdel test episode of Missy in the Diary of River Song where Missy comments about, I'm not, I'm not crawling through tunnels. I had enough of that on Tercerus, which is another Curse of the Fatal Death reference where uh, the master has to repeatedly crawl through sewer, sewer lines. <laughs> oh, very good. Very good. So the, uh, so so we have the 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 conversion of humanity has begun. Everybody's being zapped by their smartphones and paralyzed and and all the stuff and then the aliens are are well, the aliens haven't shown up yet, but they're everyone's being converted. The doctor shows up and turns it off. It turns out she planted a virus into the silver lady a year previous to this point, so she traveled in time to a year previous. She knew what was going to happen, so she planted a virus that allowed her to turn it all off at the last second. I'm not yeah. sure why she didn't just turn it off, like or prevent it from being able to happen in the first place. Well, she sort of did. She says, if I program the silver lady, cause she didn't know when yeah. the, this was all going to happen. So she programmed the silver lady that if it determines that there's a cassava melon army being built up to be stabilized, right. That's when it needs to deactivate. Right. Okay. Well, again, uh, yeah, I, it seems unnecessarily complex, but okay, that's fine. We're we're there. Uh, so it shuts down the conversion and it exiles the cassava melons back to their dimension. Uh, and they where they take, apparently grow on those vines that we see. Yes, that's the, yeah. the those are the cassava melon vines, and they take the master with them. Um, and oh, because the doctor plays the oh, recording yes. she made at the top of the Eiffel Tower of how with the sonic screwdriver of the master confessing how he was going to get rid of the aliens as soon as he was done with them. And he's like, don't listen to her. But they do. <laughs> yes. And I like it because for once, the sonic screwdriver is doing something actually sonic, making a <laughs> recording. That's that's very <laughs> sonic of it. <laughs> and so the master is stuck in that dimension and will never see him again. Ha ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> Until the, uh, later this season. Yeah. The doctor returns Nora and Ada back to their times. Uh, removing. Oh, their I, oh, by the way, I love when the doctor shows up with Ada and uh, and Nora and Nora. Yeah. Uh, the, the companions are like, you have a lot of explaining to do. Right. Because they haven't seen the doctor in ages. And the doctor's like, what? And Graham is like, who are they? And are we being replaced? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was good. No, no, they're just temporary. Uh, yeah. She removes herself from their memories and, uh. Yeah, man, this is, especially with Ada. Ada is not like wanting this to happen. Right. And, and it's like Donna, resonances of Donna Noble. Flash. Is the doctor just, I kind of had a bit of a problem with this. Not in principle, but that we've never seen the doctor just do brain wipes like this casually before. Right, right. Um, it's very, it, but they they created a problem for themselves. The writers did because, or Chibnall mm -hmm. did because here he has these these very important historical figures. At least Ada Lovelace is, and you've dragged her through time. She knows too much. She would it would have it would have yeah. messed up things to leave her as she was. Yeah, you can always say it's a predestination paradox and it's what caused Ada Lovelace to be able to do the things she did. So I suppose. you don't need the brain wipes to get out of this as right. a writing situation. Right. We do have a scene of the doctor going when when Ryan says, "Oh, good job leaving the clues for me and and setting up the plane so we can land it." And she says, "What are you talking about?" And then she realizes yeah. she has to go set all that up a la the the uh, uh, Bill Bill and Ted. Um, yeah. And so she, we have a, a few scenes of her taking care of that. Um, then uh, so she decides to go back to Gallifrey to check on it. Yeah. Yeah. And we found and out the master wasn't lying. Yeah. She sees the city, the main city on Gallifrey. It's the dome over it has been smashed. The bubble it's in has been smashed. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of fire and pits and stuff on the ground. And and it's really not great. 
and and, and he uh, left a message for her when she what's that he, the master left a message for the doctor yeah so she goes back into the tardis and her apparently what looks like her confession dial activates yeah and uh a hologram of the master appears addressed very much like the first doctor and holding his lapels like the first doctor. So d visually harking back to the beginning of the show. Right. And he says, and he says, geolocation activated. If you're seeing this, you've been to Gallifrey. When I said someone did that, obviously I meant I did. Right. I, ha I had to make them pay for what I discovered. They lied to us. The founding fathers of Gallifrey, everything we were told was a lie. We are not who we think, you or I. The whole existence of our species built on the lie of the timeless child. Do you see it? It's buried deep in all our memories, in our identity. I'd tell you more, but but why would I make it easy for you? It wasn't for me. Right. Uh, and the timeless child is a reference to, from the second episode from last season, the Ghost mm -hmm. Monument, when the remnant, which was those bioengineered strips of fabric that caused the doctor to have some memories, Mm -hmm. uh the, this buried memory of the timeless child uh so and then she has this vision a quick vision of that but also of a, a young child woman. yeah on, young... apparently on gallifrey so we've now seen the timeless child right the, the timeless child is a little girl uh she's wearing an interesting kind of asian looking dress and she's next to this weird looking structure yep. seems to be a building of some kind and she's and she looked uh dark complected i'm not exactly sure but we get this blurred image of now the timeless child that's apparently central to gallifreyan history right something something central to their society that the founders you know uh, rassilon and whatever uh lied mm -hmm. about and so let's talk a little bit about this and what it does for the show. OK, um, on the one hand. So I like the idea now back during the seventh doctor's time, there was a, a decision that had been made that the Time Lords had kind of lost their mystery and we needed to make them more mysterious. And so the script uh, editor for the show, Andrew Cartmel, came up with a plan known as the Cartmel Master Plan, which would imply that and they got bits of this onto the screen, but not much of it before the series was canceled. So it's primarily explored in alternative media. But basically, the uh, plan was to say the Doctor is not just an ordinary Time Lord; he's something much more than that. And that they did get on screen in mm -hmm. Silver Nemesis, the twenty-fifth anniversary. Um, the but the reason he was supposed to be much more than an ordinary Time Lord is that Time Lord Society was supposed to have three founders, Rassilon, Omega or Omega, as they say, and uh, the other. And the other was going to be a proto version of the doctor who later fell into the genetic looms and came out as William Hartnell. OK. And um, and then met Susan, who was also a descendant of the other and recognized him as her, quote unquote, grandfather. Um, so the doctor was going to be one of the founders of Time Lord Society. And so when when the master says the founding fathers. Are involved in this, it's not clear to me from exactly what he says, whether they are the subjects of the lie or they were the ones doing the lying or both. Hmm. Now, we have met both Rassilon and Omega. 
So it seems like they're not total lies. It seems like they're whatever the lie is, it's something they told or is connected right. with them. It apparently goes to the core of the of Time Lord identity. And that makes it dangerous from a script writing perspective or from a storytelling perspective, because we need to have a certain kind of relationship with the Time Lords. They need to be people who are not altogether bad. Yep. Because they're not altogether bad. And the doctor is one of them. And we've met other good time lords, including Romana. Um, but they also need to be not altogether good because the doctor needed to run away from them. And so we need to have a kind of ambiguous, morally neutral impression of who the time lords are, neither all good or all bad. But if you're saying that the master has discovered something that would prompt him to genocide his own people, including all the children whose existence they put on the table explicitly in the 50th anniversary right. as the reason the doctor did not genocide Gallifrey, right. um, then it needs to be something really bad. But how do you attribute that to all Time Lords as opposed to just a ruling elite? And so well, I can and see the master doing that, attributing to all to, to, to all time lords. Yeah, but the doctor and the audience need to be able to some extent sympathize with what the master did. Otherwise, it's just the master's committed another atrocity here. Right. And that undercuts the devastatingness of the revelation of everything we believed is a lie. That needs to be devastating. And so we need to, to some extent, understand why the master would do this. Mm. Um, and I have a hard time thinking of exactly how they're going to pay this off in a satisfying way, because there are so many hoops they need to jump through to do that. Another of the hoops is we need to see accountability. If there is some horrible lie, we need to see Time Lord accountability for it. But how do you do that if he's just killed everybody? Right. Well, so what you so what you just bring back everybody again, just so you can hold them accountable and lecture them or yeah, what? That's I. I think that this is yet another that the Gallifrey is dead. Not really. It's going to be. I hate to say it, but well, I feel Gallifrey, like, that's gonna like be. the master can never be dead permanently. But if you bring them back immediately, it undercuts this thing and it comes across yeah. as just a cheap shock value thing. I hope it's not. Um, and and I don't want Gallifrey to be gone at this point. Yeah. I, I mean, they we spent so long without Gallifrey and we've seen so little of it since it came back. I would like to see and none of what we've seen has been good. Right. Since it came back, I'd like to have a chance to have a little Gallifrey bonding again before you take it away. And so I while I appreciate the dramatic value of this, I'm also very worried about it in terms of how are they going to pay this off in a satisfying way. And frankly, I don't really I don't want Gallifrey to be wrong at this to be gone at this point. I like mysteries. I'm interested in the timeless child. But man, they've really written themselves into a corner with this. Right, right. It'll be interesting to see how they how they manage to get out of that. Uh, and then we have this one scene of the companions confronting the doctor about their questions about who she yep. really is. And they she, have their Martha moment. Yes. She gives them some basic answers and that and that's it. And then uh she doesn't go into any any detail. And then when she, Yaz does, she does ask them if they have questions and right. Graham says tons, but she's also delivered this in a way just her performance is such that it's like, okay, I'm telling you this, but I really don't want you to ask a lot more. Right. And Yaz says, can we go visit your home? And she just says, no. And that's Well, that. she says, another time. Another time, right. And then immediately walks off, and we get a reverse angle shot of her looking 
anguished yes. because we know as the audience that she's just seen her home destroyed and she's not ready to deal with this emotionally yet. And, you know, another time means something's when, when we're talking about a time Lord, that can mean yeah. something very, very specific. Yeah, so very interesting. Any final thoughts on this? Uh, I enjoyed the, uh, the first, I enjoyed both parts. I thought they're the best Chris Chibnall episodes ever. Um, mm -hmm. including things he wrote before he was showrunner. Uh, I think they're definitely the best things of the Jodie Whittaker era. I liked the first one more than the second. Yep. I um I liked the master in particular more in the first because he's having fun. Right. He's not having fun as much in the second one. So and that's okay. I mean, the master's not always having fun. Yeah. Um. But uh. But when they bring Sasha Dewan and he seems to have anglicized his name a little bit. Because he's got that DH on the front of it, which should suggest it should be more aspirated, like Dawan or Dawan. Yeah. But he seems to have anglicized it for the convenience of the English speaking ear. Um, but when they bring him back, which I'm anticipating no later than the two parter that finishes this series, um, I want him I want him to be having more fun. Yeah. Because yeah. I like that in the master. Well, that was what we loved about Missy, was that she just yeah. seemed to be having fun about it as you know, she did dastardly things. Yeah. Also, I'll be interested to see we need serious more answers this season about the timeless child. An obvious way to proceed would be to have the doctor go. I don't know if they'll do this because they pretend as if the doctor has to meet Gallifrey in the right order. So mm -hmm. like you can't go back to Gallifrey's past before the master destroyed it. Right. Um, but that would be the logical thing to do if you're a time traveler. Let's go back to before the master destroyed it, find out what this timeless child thing is and stop the master from destroying it. Right. Right. Is it a fixed point, something that prevents time lords from traveling? Uh, who knows? But yeah, well, <laughs> uh, it's again, it's against the law of time to violate your own timeline to meet yourself in that yes. way or change your timeline. But the time lords don't seem to have a problem with it when you're saving their entire planet from destruction. This is true. This is true. Uh, so, uh, as I said at the top of our program that, uh, Father Corey couldn't be with us, but he did record some of his thoughts, uh, which we'll, we'll provide to you. Uh, it was, a it was, it, it's, it's not long, but, uh, we want to kind of give it to you as a special bonus episode. So that'll be appearing in this feed for the podcast, uh, not long after you get this, this episode. So you'll be able to listen to that separately, but we'll, we'll provide that for you. And uh, that'll that'll be good. We do have some feedback. I do want to cover some feedback from our uh, big finish to 2019 episodes. I, I kind of like mm -hmm. that uh, little pun there. Uh, we do have from the our discussion of in episode 157, the big finish chimes of midnight. Emma writes on Facebook. Somehow this episode reminds me of the Matt Smith episode Hyde, which takes place in the haunted mansion. Mm -hmm. the, the ghost from that episode was trapped in a different slash bubble universe too. Fascinating to hear about the living house, though. I haven't listened to any big finish, but I still enjoyed these few episodes a lot. Thanks for the hard work, guys. So you're welcome, Emma. But uh, yeah, uh, we hope it didn't encourage you to go listen to some big finish. There's some good stuff out there and it's not very expensive. So there are some inexpensive episodes, uh, just a couple bucks, and it's well worth looking for it. And then on our the episode prior to that, episode 156, the big finish trial of the Valyard, Kathy writes via email. I was wondering if the word is Vaillard, which is French for old man, in anglicized pronunciation, one would pronounce it Vaillard. Uh, and she says, I enjoy the Doctor Who podcast enormously, and Tom Baker is my doctor. So what do you uh -huh. think? Is, is that a reference to the French word? 
Well, it could be somehow, I mean, it could be something the writers intended, but they definitely pronounce it Valyard on the show, or actually they pronounce it two ways. They also pronounce it Valyard. Right. And it is explained on screen that it means something like noble counselor in right. Gallifreyan. Okay. Okay. But it's an interesting But it could still connection. have a real world origin. Yep. Uh, so then that's it for our, our feedback. We love to get feedback from listeners and uh, we then to share it with you all uh, what we can on the podcast. Before we finish up on this uh, this extra long special episode covering the two-part season premiere, I do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Charles W., Scott H., Laurent S., Dan F., and Cameron C. Their generous donations at sqpn.com make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What did? Oh, yeah. By the way, I also want to thank uh, Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us normally. Uh, oh, yes. In our Christmas episode, The Chimes at Midnight, um, he we started the episode with an excerpt from a 1960s song called Yes, Believe It or Not, I'm Going to Spend My Christmas with a Dalek. Right. And he ended the episode with more of that song, I'm Going to Spend My Christmas with a Dalek. But he did something fascinating to the audio. Uh, during the course of the Chimes of Midnight, we um, mentioned how one of the recurring lines of dialogue, whenever the characters were talking about Mrs. Baddeley's plum pudding, someone invariably says, it wouldn't be Christmas without them. Right. And so, uh, just as a joke, whenever we as commentators mentioned the plum puddings, I would say, it wouldn't be Christmas without them. <laughs> and so, in the I'm going to spend my Christmas with a Dalek song at the end, whenever plum puddings get mentioned, Victor inserted me saying, it wouldn't be Christmas without them. <laughs> and I didn't know he was going to do that. It was great. And I just wanted to give him his props for that. That was awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Victor. Yeah. Given uh, it's been, he's been great helping us out with editing stuff uh, uh, in his spare time, uh, given how quickly we want to turn around these Doctor Who. Uh, podcast. Uh, he's going to be helping us on some other things, but uh, he's been so helpful, and we really do appreciate Victor uh, helping us on it, uh, with the StarQuest uh, podcast. So again, uh, that, that's it. What did you think of Spyfall Parts 1 and 2? Let us know by commenting on this show at sqpn.com slash Doctor Who or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or you can send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. And we'll be back next time where we'll be discussing the next new episode of Doctor Who called Orphan 55. Until Ooh, will you be my mummy? <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's apparently supposed to be very scary. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I'm, 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 I don't like scary, but we'll see how it goes. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember... People get so offended when they say, what are you doing in my liver again? Right. This is going to be fun. <laughs>